Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, Scott, we have NVS Fins with us today, but we have a special guest calling in about their NVS Fins. Okay. Aloha, David and Scott. Uh, Shukin calling in with a update about uh, my inquiry about those NVS C drive fins. Um, I emailed both you guys. You cordially replied. I spoke with Leif from NVS for like a half hour. So I ordered me some, put them in my uh, Timpone quad, and all I have to say, gentlemen, is yeah, guy, yeah, freaking guy. Like having a gas pedal, completely different board. So stoked. Um, thank you so much for turning me on to it. Uh, I encourage anybody to check them out if you haven't already. Uh, really great customer service. Thanks a lot, boys. Mahalo. Shukin wow. for NVS fans. Shukin kind of said it all right there, didn't he? It's look, we, you and I, David and I, um, we love our NVS fans. I love all surfboard fans, but I'll tell you what, <laughs> the NVS fans. They're light, they're sleek, they're sexy. Um, there's, there's kind of, they're just epic. Well, he talked about having a gas pedal and it's a completely different board uh, for the, with those C-drive fins. And that's the key detail that we need to reset regularly for listeners is you might think that a board is a dog, swap out the fins and it, it totally changes the board. And the, you know, if you're just swapping fins that have subtle adjustments, maybe you don't identify the difference, but those C-drive fins are so distinctly different than anything else. The base is so wide um, that you notice the difference instantly. So, yeah, I'm a big fan and I ride the C-drives and surf on those fins regularly. I've been rocking the C-drive twins in the free scrubber. Um so I'm all about it. And yeah, surfnvs.com is their website. And uh, like he, like the other thing Shukin was saying about customer service, he had a 30-minute phone call with the owner of the company just discussing which fins for his specific board. He's, I remember because he did email you and I, and I was like, dude, just talk to the guys at NVS. 
And um, he sent photos of the board that he had just gotten and they dialed in his, uh, his fins with him and it took 30 minutes on the phone. So that's customer service that you don't get and access to expertise that you don't necessarily get anywhere else. So surfnvs.com. Or in fact, you can buy them at realwatersports.com, who is uh, our retail partner as well. Yeah, look, uh, retail, uh, excuse me, real water sports, you're going to get incredible hard goods for the thing that we love to do, which is ride waves. Those guys have got an assortment of just intense all-time surfboards, fins, wetsuits, leashes, gear, and uh, check them out, realwatersports.com for all your surfing hard good needs. As we see some movement at the takeoff zone, it's Kelly Slater grabbing rail, a clean entry, this thing holding open, it spits. Uh, when it spit me, I thought it was gonna spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit, spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Yeah, guy. Yeah, friggin' guy. Yeah, guy. You can say it best. Yeah, friggin' guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> David Lee Scales and Scott Bass with you here on this Wednesday morning. It's June. No, it's Thursday morning. Thursday morning, June 9th, 2022. Good morning, David. Good morning, Scott Bass. Um, we're in between events. We GLAN finished after you and I recorded last week. So we could discuss how that event wrapped up. And then we've got um, the El Salvador event actually just on the horizon starts, I think, in two days from now. And uh, yeah. So how have you been? What do you want to talk about this morning? Uh, yeah, I've been good. A couple things. Yesterday, super fun little windswell waves. But more importantly, it was really the first morning in a long time. I don't know about up there, but we've we've had a lot of southwest m- morning winds it's been chunky and textured and bumpy it's been a long time since i surfed a glassy wave Mm. and yesterday morning i got to surf glassy waves for the first time in a long time and i need to make a slight retraction because i revisited my eps board Uh uh-oh yeah i revisited my eps board and the board friggin went insane and it and i'm thinking that it's because it was smooth and glassy yeah and on top of that it was windswell so it was like nine or eight second windswell so there was lots of little kind of weak thin lipped waves where and they where i had if i went out onto the shoulder it was kind of um it was kind of boggy you know and the eps really came through and um I'm re-energized with the EPS board in certain conditions. Apparently that's what I'm learning. Like it wasn't, I thought, I thought, Oh, you know what? Maybe the foam's not good here. You know, maybe it's just me and the foam. And I think it's me and the conditions that were problematic. Um, Which surfboard builder EPS surfboard builder reached out to you to complain about you complaining. Okay, nobody, yeah. nobody. I would, I would fully say it. I'm just, I'm so. <laughs> it's funny to say. It. I didn't even think about that. Um, but uh, I thought somebody was like, "How dare you? You're damaging yeah. my business." Printer attraction. Um, oh gosh, that's funny. I, I probably should have. I didn't even think about my clients, which I have many that are EPS foam builders. But um, no, I just, it was glassy, and I took the board out because it just seemed like the right board. 
And I wanted to revisit it. I wanted to revisit the board one more time, you know, because a lot of times you do, you know, I, I can't just make an assumption on a couple of serfs yeah. or, or make a decision well, on a couple of serfs. The funny thing is you're like, what I'm learning is for the right conditions. You've learned that over and over. It's like we constantly need to relearn the same lessons in surfing. I know. It's funny. I guarantee I was... you learned that 30 years ago, right? I did. I did. And, and here's what's interesting. And I, was, I had a deep dive thought on this yesterday when I was riding that board. I've, I've sort of fallen prey to the marketing of the surfboard builders. Ah. You know what I mean? Like, I'm all about. Like if somebody comes out and goes, hey, I got a new model. It's the Widgey Widget or whatever. <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh my God, the Widgey Widget. I got to ride the Widgey Widget. Yeah. And, and I was really thinking about this yesterday where, and fins are kind of like this too. Like I can go back to an old design and it's epic. It's like, it's like I say to myself, why did I ever leave to go to the Widgey Widget? You know? Yeah, totally. And as I'm getting older, we often talk about this, and I apologize. What I've come to realize is that simple is the best for me. Yeah. Just simple, you know, yeah. like simple. And uh, I don't need to fall for every new widgey widget design, you know, because how can the widgey widget be any better than the widgey? Um, you know, like the widgey worked well, insane. The widgey was epic. The widgey was a great board and it still is a great board. Why are they making the widgey widget? Because as human beings, we want something new. But I can, get a new I can get a new widgey. Uh, yeah, but you want new feeling. You want new, I don't know what. It's, yeah. I think it's normal to want new. But yeah. it, another part of, essential part of being a human being is as soon as you get used to something new, you miss the old. Or you want something else new, you know? So the grass being always greener is just an essential part of being a human. And I think we talked about last week how important uh, you already have everything you want or everything yeah. you need. And so yeah. perspective is important. Um, but as you were talking about what you didn't like about EPS last week, I agreed with everything you said, but I have one or two EPS shortboards in my quiver that I do still love. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, I guess you're right in certain conditions, but I've also ridden them, you know, when I, when you would traditionally ride a PU and they've worked in the, those two boards have worked in those conditions as well. Oh, um, that's interesting. Well, so the, they're both shaped actually by Tim Pony, who uh, Shukin mentioned earlier, and they are making a, they have a certain construction type and EPS is the core, but then they layer on some fabrics and some other stuff. It's called Maui leaf light. And so it's meant to damp, uh, to nullify the things about EPS that we don't like. But the one detail that you were talking about is that PU tends to have forward momentum drive. It seems to kind of somehow project forward. And I don't know that you can embed that into an EPS blank, or I don't know what you could do to get that into the EPS blank. Cause even those Tim ponies that I have, I'm not sure that they're, that they have that feeling that you're talking about, but the conditions that I've always written them in, you know, I don't need them necessarily because the board is so lively and sprightly. I can get to where I want to go. 
uh, but it dampens the other construction methods, dampen the chattery kind of element that you would get in um, waves that have a little bit of chop or whatever. Well, yesterday, I tell you what, the, the, this is sort of the springy, the, um, the sprightliness, if that's a word, of it the is. board um, was needed because it was this kind of thin-lipped, soft eight-second windswell where I needed to stay kind of right next to the power. There was no running and racing down the line to make a section. It was all kind of cutting back into it and staying right there near the pocket. And man, the board felt so good. And I was just... Yeah. I was just like questioning myself, you know? Well, kind of a side note. Um, do you like surfing glassy waves? Of course. Okay. Well, when I was growing up, that's what the ideal was, was like clean, perfectly groomed and glassy. And over the years, if I take an inventory, I prefer non-glassy waves. I prefer a little bit of Really? A little bit of wonkiness or a little bit of like pockets of energy in a wave lips that you can crack, you know, and like those glassy waves, if I have a big, long board, that's fun, but I'm not ripping on glassy waves ever, you know, I'm kind of doing a lower performance surfing on glassy waves. Mm. You stumped me. I'm not sure what to say other than you're weird. I don't think so. Well, I mean, the, the general high performance thing has gotten away from glassy waves. They've been looking for windy waves for two decades now. I'm not doing airs, you know, so I'm not looking at windy waves for the same reason that the pros are looking for them. But just if I pull up to the beach, my heart always flutters if it's offshore and glassy, but I don't do my best surfing out there. You know, I'm not cracking lips out there. I'm doing open face cutbacks or something hey um i got some interest i got an interesting email that i, I need to to talk to you about i don't know if he sent it to you too he just sent it to me he might have sent it to you let me look sorry just me. okay here it is get into it um he just sent it to me he said hey scott i was trying to understand why my board was acting a certain way and how the fins could be playing a role and i stumbled upon this website and I thought it might interest you. Have you ever heard of this guy? Question mark. It would be cool to have someone on the show do a deep dive on the hydrodynamics as it relates to fins. And he sent me a link and it's finsciences.com. I'm not I just, familiar. I just clicked on it. I've never read this thing before. This guy's got a deep dive on fins. I'm not sure his background. I'm trying to find it here, but. Let me read you something that's kind of interesting. Um, Fins do two things. This is him. I'm quoting his website, this guy who I don't even know who it is. His name is Doug, and he's the Fin Sciences Fin Designer. And he's, this is like a deep dive, man. It's crazy. And I'll just, you know, be quick here. Um, he says, what is the truth about fins? I've researched, studied, designed, engineered, developed, and ultimately produced fins based on what I found. Fins do two things and only two things in terms of science. A fin creates two forces and two forces only bolded. Surfboard fins create lift and fins create drag. <laughs> 
That's it. That's science. That's physics and fluid dynamics. The laws of science aren't suspended for surfboard and sup fins. In general, you want more lift per unit of drag, just like with airplane wings, boat keels, propellers, helicopter blades, and car spoilers. More lift per unit of drag makes the fin efficient. Why do we care? Efficient surfboard and sup fins mean easier paddling, quicker acceleration, combined with the other design features, a more maneuverable fin. And I'll end there, but this guy has pages and pages and pages of scientific stuff. And um, I just opened this while we were talking. So I haven't done a deep dive on it, but this guy I think deserves a podcast at the very least. <laughs> Doug Simpson looks like you his know Doug? Doug Simpson. No, oh, I don't. I, oh, Doug Simpson. I, I have received numerous emails from Doug Simpson before. Okay. So now I know who he is. Um, yeah, get him on, get him on the boardroom. Anyway, sorry to interrupt, but no, that's not an interruption at all. I'm curious. I, you know, part of me wants to absorb every little bit of information and part of me wants to know nothing. <laughs> I know there's, it's kind of a deep dive. I just like the summarized <laughs> version. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I want, I guess what I want is to know that somebody expert out there is doing all the research to make my experience better so that I could just glean off their insights. You know, I'm glad that he's inclined in that way because I'm not in, in terms of doing all that research. Yeah. He's, he's done a, a massive deep dive. I mean, in, I'm inclined in such a way that I want to hear his story, hear about him, how he came to those conclusions and then uh, use, you know, apply them to my fin. I don't usage. know. It's, it's such a deep dive that I, I, I feel like if I interviewed him, I'd be like, okay, Let's move on from, <laughs> let's move to the next talk. This is boring the shit out of me. <laughs> Can you boil it down? You know who, so you want to know who I interviewed and I'm publishing an episode with today? Somebody great, probably. Sasha Jane Lowerson. No way. Yes, sir. How'd that go? You better tell great. the listeners that don't know. Sasha's the trans uh, surfer that she just won a New Zealand world championship or a state championship or whatever, national championship. Western Australian. Oh, I thought she was New Zealand. Okay. Western no. Australian. Okay. So she um, had competed for decades, very successfully in regional events. Uh, and up until up through 2019 as Ryan Egan, and then uh, started hormone therapy and medical minute, transit. She, Ryan. Egan won state championships, multiple, right? Yes. Yeah. So as yeah. Ryan, Sasha was a, was a state champion, high level yes. competitive that's that numerous times took titles as a man. Yeah. And competed in WSL events and stuff like that. And then started medical transition and, um, and entered an event actually she did the noosa fest noosa festival as well uh entered that as a woman in the women's division and lost like 60 something place so that didn't really make any news headlines but then won the western australian state championships in the open women's and the logger category and so that became a news story and very quickly the news stories kind of shifted 
uh, into being about what the commentary surrounding the first couple of news stories was and, and is. And so what I, that's really what I wanted to talk to Sasha about. Like I was interested in um, hearing her story and kind of the meta medical part of transitioning, but I was also interested just to hear what her thoughts were on all of the commentary surrounding it and how she kind of um, addressed the question of fairness that you and I were discussing on the show. And she did a fantastic job of addressing all of those things. And really, to be honest, giving me a better understanding of um, why we're all having this conversation, you know, not just like, I think you and I, I can speak for probably you and I, that we totally accept socially and ideologically trans people. That's not even a question. Absolutely. I want them to feel welcome and safe as I do for almost all human beings. But the question that you and I really had was about sporting itself. And how do you define, uh, how have we traditionally defined gender and how are we kind of altering that definition now. And the one kind of big detail that she opened up for me was that um, there's actually a larger percentage than we ever thought in the past of humans who are quote intersex. And in fact, an even greater percentage of them exist in female sports. So intersex, she defines it better than I can right now, but essentially there's uh, male and female gender, right? That we've traditionally known XX chromosome, XY chromosome, and that's the separation. Well, intersex means that there's abnormalities on those chromosomes. So you might have an XX, but with a Y abnormality on one of the X chromosomes. And so this presents itself entirely uh, in a range of ways. So some human beings have both reproductive systems internally, some have uh, both sex organs externally, and any variation in between. And traditionally, up until very recently, doctors might assess that in the labor room. A baby comes out and it has both external sex organs. And the doctors didn't even need parents' permission to pick which sex they were going to assign to the baby. So they would do a surgery and choose, this is going to be a male or this is going to be a female. You're looking at me as if this is not true information. (laughs) Sasha did mention this, but I learned about this in school back in the day. This is true. Um, You're you're telling me that doctors, the baby comes out, the mom's right there. Is it a boy or a girl? The doctor doesn't tell, then takes the baby somewhere and changes the sex. Um, I'm interested in how that happens, how that occurs. I'm sure. Well, I'm sure that's happened as well. But the point is they didn't need consent from the parents legally. That seems like a lawsuit. Fairly recently. Well, I think it became lawsuits. And so now it is. Well, and it depends where you are in the world. You know what I mean? Uh, But certainly, certainly now it's not the norm practice for the doctors to make that decision. But the point is this intersex um, conversation. So what Sasha was saying was that there's a larger incidence percentage in female sporting of intersex. So you might've seen a female athlete who just is a lot larger than all the other athletes or her body is structured in such a way. And 
that's why she's winning whatever the competition is, you know? Well, she might have that intersex chromosomal abnormality, never identified it, just was known as the best female athlete. Well, she's already, she's already outside of whatever was the previous uh, categorization. They just weren't accounting for those things in the past. Now they're accounting for those things. So Sasha is arguing that uh, through hormonal therapy and all this sort of stuff, her feet size have shrunk, her testosterone levels has dropped, her height has dropped. And so she's now falling into the range of female competitors. If you've gauged all those things, the problem is they don't ask for medical history. I mean, uh, the organizations don't. And so Sasha said, look, all these articles have been written about me that I'm a biologically born male. She's like, I never divulged that information to anybody. They don't know that I'm biologically born male. I was assigned male, kind of in a, uh, identified as male by society, but she's like, and I'm not going to reveal it now, but if I have, she's like, I didn't go through puberty till I was 19, didn't have armpit hair until I was 30. Like if I have some of these, uh, intersex quote abnormalities, then you're not, you shouldn't be calling me a biologically born male because that's not for you to assess. I have something out. You know what I mean? So it, it becomes when you kind of understand that part of it, it opens up a lot more understanding to redefine how we might redefine gender categorization. Uh, but they're still sorting out where those boundary lines are, you know, the science, the scientists are for the IOC and whoever else. Huh. All right. Sounds interesting. Yeah. But the, the, um, percentage of people that exist on that intersex uh, spectrum, I'd be interested to know the hard numbers on that, you know, because I think it is larger percentage than we really had an awareness of, of course, previously, but I think it's probably still a pretty small percentage. So Scott's keeping tight lips. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, it was uh, well, a good look, conversation. My, my thoughts are, I don't know anything about it. So I'm, I'm hesitant to speak up because I just educated you. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, I can tell you what my gut sense is, which is probably wrong, but my gut sense is, yeah, she's right. There are probably, there's probably a larger percentage than we were aware of whatever the hell that means. You know, I don't know what that means, but I sense that if you're born intersex, my sense is it's kind of an anomaly. My sense is that biology and evolution um, and the, um, the movement forward of the species, um, and again, I'm not a friggin' Darwinist. I'm not an evolution. I don't know how this shit works. I'm not even, I have a writing degree you know what I mean? I've never even taken science classes. So I don't know shit, but my gut feeling is, is that the, it's a very tiny percentage of the population. I'm sure that it exists. In fact, I know that it exists. It doesn't surprise me at all that somehow science and evolution spits out some uh, unique situations. Um, but if we boil it down and so she's right. Like we can't assign her, uh, I guess, you know, but I mean, let me ask you this. If you're born and you've got both and the doctor's like, I'm making you a boy, 
and the doctor makes you a boy because he Sasha was born with a penis and testes, right? I we can only presume that she would not divulge that. <laughs> I mean, why wouldn't she divulge it? What is she hiding? I have no idea, dude. I mean, it's her prerogative, you know. Uh, medical well, it would history be her prerogative is a to be subject. as honest as possible about this subject. If you're going to come out and be public about it, let's just be honest about it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't yeah. understand why you wouldn't go. Yeah, this is the way it is. This is exactly what happened. As opposed to, well, I can't tell you. I'm not going to leave that kind of a gray area. No, tell yeah. us what the fuck yeah. is going on. Is that too much to ask? I don't know why you're getting so heated about it. I don't either. Probably you dropped had... more curse words in the last five minutes. Well, I just sense that she's <laughs> hiding something. I think is what it is. I don't. I, I don't know about that. I think the tact of not divulging medical history is more to make a point, you know, that wait a minute, medical hit, like, just tell us how, like, here's my thing. Okay. I'm going to, you know, let's say hypothetically, somebody wants to come out and tell their story about what's happening to them. And they're in the public limelight because of this sports event that that, that's occurred. If you're going to come out and tell us all about it, you, you should tell us all about it. And I don't think telling us, the sex you were born with is asking too much. Do you? Well, that's the exact point is that what she's saying is it's not binary. You're demanding the answer on your own terms and your own understanding. Right. You're going penis means male. Yes. Vagina means female. Exactly. Which are you? And she's right. going, I'm not going to answer it because there's all these variations within that you need to be aware of. And so unless you're right. willing to listen to what right. I'm going to explain are the variations. Yeah. I'm yeah. not going to address the first question. That's what it is. Okay. Well, I've listened. So. I've listened. I have listened. And I understand. I think what she's saying is that you're, as soon as I say I'm, I was born male, you're going to throw all these biases and, and stuff on top of it, which is kind of I what I can it. see myself doing right now. I can see myself. Yeah. If I pull back and go 30,000 feet, I want to know that she was born a male so I can go see, you know, and point my finger and go, blah, blah, you know, you're a male, but, you know, but, and I have heard because I have some psychiatry friends, some friends that are psychiatrists. And, um, and again, I don't know much about it, but I, I have heard that, that it's deeper than just what you're physically born, physiologically born with. But again, I, I don't know what I'm talking about. It's and, absolutely and frankly, true. I'm well, kind of bored by it. In some ways, I'm well, a little bit bored. As just as an end user of this topic, I'm kind of like, and maybe it's just because I don't have the patience to like understand it all. But um, oh no, you're frozen. Okay, no. you're back. Yeah. You're back. Yeah. But right, could you hear what I was saying? Because it was probably ignorant. I I heard you say <laughs> that you were bored by it. Was the last thing I heard. A little bit bored by it, you know, because I, I guess, would it be wrong for her to just tell us what sex she was born as? I mean, I think we know it was a guy, right? How could she not, how could she be Ryan Engel for, what was it, 20 something years and not um, be a guy? 40 years. Well, you're, but again, I mean, she, physically she a guy. Would, I mean, physically a guy. A guy with a person, not a guy, but a, not a male, but a person, an intersex person with. I think that she would 
be happy to admit or not happy. I think she would be comfortable admitting she probably had balls and a penis, but she wants you to account for all the things that she didn't have that are associated with male gender. And just the one detail I told you about, she didn't grow armpit hair until she was in her thirties. She didn't hit puberty until she was 19. Those are indicators that I think you can totally sympathize with that are outside the norm of development, you know, and that would indicate that something else is going on. And so, uh, you know, for those first 20 years and beyond, probably society is treating her a certain way, like calling her gay, calling her using yeah. all of the oh, negative sure stereotypes she's discriminated that come against. It's not, it's yeah. not cool. And so then that, people aren't that also, right. And so then that also starts to erode your self-esteem and you start to question and all of this stuff that comes with identity. Yeah. And so I'm sympathetic to the conversation just because uh, it's outs. I was not raised, you know, I was not raised with any of that awareness and yeah. now, but I was raised with certain prejudice, I would say. Oh, for sure. And so for my first 30 years of life, I kind of resisted if things yep. were different. It's like, no, I need to carve out my space and you need to understand things my way. Yep. I don't have a lot of that anymore. And when she tells me her story and I'm like, holy cow, you're that's entirely real and true and there's in fact a percentage of people maybe not a majority but there's certainly a significant percentage of people who have that same experience who need a community to communicate need other people to understand the experience like i have no resistance to it anymore i'm totally open to the conversation and want to want to know more about it you know yeah yeah so i i enjoyed the conversation i was glad that she was as articulate as she was and um She's, not even like I'm sure she's going to win me over. I want to listen yeah. to it because I'm sure she's uh, smart and intelligent and probably smarter and more intelligent than I am, which isn't saying much. However, I want to ask you this. And it's funny. I, I asked myself, why am I asking this question while I was listening to you? And a lot of times, like the framework of my questioning is so that I can be in judgment of Sasha. Like I, I find myself wanting to to be able to like go see, you know, like, and that's my bias that she's concerned about. That's what she's like. This is why I'm not doing that. Cause there's a bunch of guys like Scott that are like, right. Just can't wait to like say you're wrong basically for feeling this right. way and for being this way, for being born this way, you know, which is not tolerant. Right. And so, you know, if I'm seeking to be a tolerant human being, which is what I'm seeking to be, I need to question my own questions with that caveat. Let me ask you this. Um, can she now procreate the species? Can, Ooh, she have babies? I, can she have babies? I don't think so. I did could not ask have, that, but I don't think so. Could she? Could Ryan have produced sperm that would have created a baby inside of a woman? Um, I did not ask her, but I, and I didn't research this but I think I heard that she had two kids with her previous, cause she was married to a female. Oh, and I think that she had two kids, but I cannot confirm. Because what I'm wondering is it seems to me that, that if you were this way, if you were born this way, science, pure evolution, pure science would suggest that you want to then that this 
that this uh, version of the human species of human beings would in the population, in the general population of the earth would seek to, uh, what's the word multiply. I'm looking for? Thank you. Would seek to multiply. And, you know, I'm thinking of the book Sapiens. And um, as you know, in that book, there was numerous, uh, like quite a few different human species. There was um, Homo sapiens, there was Homo erectus. There was these little small, uh, I forget the exact name of them, but they were like Homo phylons or something that were in, I think, Asian islands, maybe in Indonesia. There was literally, like right now on the earth, there's only Homo sapiens. But as you know, there was at one point, there was seven or eight or nine different species of the human being and and i'm suggesting to you that perhaps this species is is trying to multiply which is what species do and that's why i'm wondering if maybe the offspring like it seems like you would want the off you would want offspring of this like yeah. not even not even just the the pure you know the pure biological function would would be like let's make offspring of this let's try to move this part of the species forward. Yeah, I, I don't know if those chromosomal intersex abnormalities um, get handed down, you know, her, uh, when you have a kid. So I'm not sure about that. But well, it at any rate, fascinating. I, I, you know, again, I know that I, I probably sound ignorant and I apologize no. if I've upset anybody, but I'm just speaking my ignorant truth here and i'm and i'm well, wondering i have questions it's it's and on some level a lot of the questions are based in my own fear you know like i want to judge because that's what the you know that's what my ego likes to do to protect myself you know to protect my insecurity about this new thing that i'm not comfortable with i think the interesting thought experiment about fairness was that there's already intersex athletes, let's say, uh, in the female realm who have clear, distinct advantage over other female competitors because of their, you know, quote, masculine abnormality chromosomally right. that allows them more strength, bigger, all that kind of stuff. And that's never been, they've always checked. been allowed full stop. Yeah. That's never like, been checked. It's like just Serena Williams. Yeah, exactly. Like she's and a it, stud. Exactly. And it's like, so you and I were making the argument weeks ago, which was if you're female, it's if you're in the female, you're all in this category and that's just fair. And so you're not allowed to come in with anything else because that would be unfair. We're not really accounting for that within that category, there's unfairness that already exists. And we in fact celebrate it when somebody is out that big of an outlier physiologically, we're just like, wow, look at them go. That's incredible, you know, but it isn't exactly fair. It undermines our argument about fairness, essentially. Yeah, it's fascinating. And, and, and when I extrapolate out what you're saying, I think to myself, the real problem could be money in sports. Like, we wouldn't really care if there wasn't money in sports. Like, we'd just be like, cool, play the sport. You know, and everyone would yeah. play sports and you'd play sports as a female or a male. Yeah. Or whatever, or you'd mix them. Who cares? Yeah. You know, like why, like the concept of <clears throat> what was her thought about? Does she feel like she's being unfair? No, she, 
specifically we addressed longboarding. And so, no, she does not think that it's unfair for her to compete because uh, the medical variables have kind of lowered. She's post-transition gotten away from the masculine physiology and is now much more feminine physiology. And so it falls into the realm of fairness was her argument, but we did, um, she, the way that she even addressed the conversation implied that there would be unfairness if it was something other than longboarding. But she did compete in shortboarding or no? I think, I don't know, to be honest. I, all I ever saw about her record was longboard. Did she discuss the way that she is, um, is showing her transition physically? Because did you mention what I brought up in that Atlantic article about it's been proven that, yeah. that if you go through puberty, you maintain those, those uh, I guess, I don't want to say greater physical attributes, but physical attributes of a male, regardless yeah. if you transition or not. Yes, but the therapies that she's on, like I said, have reduced her foot size, uh, her height. And does she have a, all a of lot that? Of- does she have all of that? Like, does she have a form that she hands over to like, go see, look, here it is. When I was yeah, I don't 25, know. I was 5'11". I'm now 5'10". <clears throat> I don't know if there's any official documentation of it, but if you look at her on the winner's podium after the recent event, you can identify clear physiological differences between the biologically born female bodies and um, hers, you know, hips, the other girls have hips. Uh, she has broader shoulders. She's taller, things like that. So even if she's reduced her size in certain ways, it's still larger than those other girls just from a visual standpoint. Um, so yeah, there's a lot more, it's a super detailed discussion and there's a lot more that science has to figure out if they're going to create these boundary lines. What was really interesting though, is I asked her, if she's contacted the WSL or if she's going to be competing in WSL events in the future, because she did in the past. And she said, yes, she's planning to, and she's contacted them five times via phone call and email. Not a single one has been returned and they have no <laughs> public policy, uh, trans policy essentially that she can find. So she's like, you know what this may, what, if they're not interested in taking my phone call, and giving me a pathway for how to submit and get accepted into the women's category, then I might just sign up for an event as a female, and then they can just sort out whether they let me compete or not. You know, what is her overarching mission? Like, why does she, is she out to kind of like move the movement forward? And this is her avenue to do that is through sport. Yeah, I, I think that's become her mission. I don't think it necessarily was like her. She was just trying to live her true self, essentially. But she's identified an opportunity to educate through conversations like this and now sees kind of a bigger mission um, because she felt so lost in the world. And now people are reaching out to her saying, oh, my gosh, I identify with everything that you're going through. And it 
pulls me out of depression. Essentially. I felt alone. Now I don't rah, rah, keep going. And so I think she feels an obligation to her community at this point to be vocal and um, visible. And, and, and she's, does she understand that there, through her actions, there's a lot of people that are upset that she's upsetting. Totally. Does that, and does that have any bearing or? No, her response like, to I, that is education, you know? Well, I guess my point is, is that can't she, like, if, I, if I'd like to hear her two, her, her two, her two sentence elevator pitch on what she's trying to accomplish. And it, and once I understand that, then I'm saying to myself, well, there's a lot of different ways to accomplish that rather than upsetting a bunch of people. Why don't you accomplish it without upsetting people? I don't think she's too worried about the people being upset. You know, they're upset because of their own misunderstanding. And so no, I don't I mean, know. I that... mean, competitors. I mean, I mean, competitors. Yeah. Even, even then, I think that would be the argument. It's she's more than happy to provide education for understanding like, hey, why are you celebrating the anomaly of Serena Williams who falls outside of this uh the no, the bell-shaped oh. curve of norm but then yeah. you're vilifying me who falls outside by the same margin on the other side of the scale you know i am also an anomaly i also uh but you're celebrating this one but ignoring this other or vilifying this other well, why what that's about the conversation what about having what about if every single athlete gets tested if you're an intersex anomaly through your chromosomes then you're put into the intersex division because apparently there's a lot, right? It's either an anomaly well, yeah. or there's a bunch of them and we can have their own division. Yeah. XXY or your whatever. Yeah. I, they're trying to define what the boundary and the framework is currently. Who's that? So, society? IOC, the people or sporting organizations. Mm-hmm. So, well, at any rate, more to more to come on this conversation, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> but we've done a, a long discussion here. Um, let's go. Let's WSL kind of recap real quick. We've got GLAN ended. We can recap. Actually, I'll just ask you this. You know, last week when we were discussing GLAN, we were talking about the mid-event rager party that everybody was at. You want to know who was not at that rager? <laughs> Jack Robinson? Correct. Jack Robinson was not because he was coming off of a win and he was quietly plotting his path to his next win. So Jack Robinson took down Felipe Toledo in the finals at G-Land. Joanne DeFay took down Carissa Moore, but Carissa Moore via her second place is now holding the Jeep leaders yellow jersey. Um, but Jack Robinson went back to back event wins. What were your thoughts on Jack's performance? Well, they were certainly exciting. And, um, you know, both of these last second, literally last second victories in the semis and the finals. And my thoughts are, um, I thought some of this, I thought it was pretty tight. I thought the scoring was pretty questionable. I thought it could have gone either, could have gone either way. And I would have agreed with it. I found so, myself sort of surprised actually in the final. Very. I wasn't sure I wasn't sure that he got the score he needed. He did not as far as I'm concerned and what's worth discussing. Hold, hold that thought. Let's take a, 
emergency break. <laughs> okay, it's coming on quick. My dog's barking. Okay, go ahead, run. Can you hear run. my dog? Yeah, go ahead. I got coyotes. Man. Coyotes. Need essentials. You know what? The water's getting warmer. Needessentialsusa.com is your place to go for board shorts and walk shorts that also are board shorts. That is right. Um, yeah, need essentials. The water, 65 degrees in Orange County. I was tripping this last week. Warmer um, here. So is it? What's the temp there? You could argue it's 67 degrees here. What? Two whole yeah. degree difference? Yeah. Um, so yeah, pack up. Pack up your 4-3. Put it away for temporarily anyways. Um, on the last chance section on needessentialsusa.com, they have that 2-2 full suit. So it's two millimeter full suit all the way through, which is perfect for that 68 degree temperature water. Um, but I mentioned last week that they have a promo code, I think for the first time ever with us, the promo code is spit suit and it gives you 20% off the chest zip thermal four, three and the three, two. And, um, the need essentials USA site, by the way, only ships to USA and Canada. So if you're outside of those regions, uh, need essentials Europe would fulfill for Europe need essentials Australia fulfills for Australia. So they don't honor the exact same promo code, but if you're in the U S or Canada, you can benefit from that 20% off promo code spit suit. Needessentialsusa.com. <laughs> when you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah. So, so interestingly, Jack Robinson, if you look back, even just this year, he's had a number of these buzzer beater waves that come through with him needing a score. And he always gets the score. He always gets the benefit of the doubt. And a number of the times it's been almost uh, there's a consensus of online viewers who think that he shouldn't have gotten the score. Jay Bay, not Jay Bay, uh, Bells against Idolo. There was an exchange and he got the nod on that. Obviously, Gabriel in the semifinals at G Land. 
if I, I did analyze those two waves before we started recording. And I think that you could argue Jack did get the score on that particular one. But then in the final, when he was surfing against Felipe, same exact thing. He needed a buzzer beater. And um, I analyzed those and I'm like, there's no way that was the score, but the judges gifted him the score. So it's interesting that Jack always gets the benefit of the doubt. You know what else I've noticed too, is that this, does it pass the, the sort of the gut test or the, right. you know what I mean? Like the semifinal, I, I was like, yep. I think as soon as it was over, I like, I think he got the score. And then in the final, I was like, I don't think he got the score. Like I didn't need to analyze it. I just kind of knew, you right. know what I mean? And I think that's the sense that a lot of viewers have too. They're like, you can immediately go, nope, no. I mean, you even hear announcers say, you know what? I don't think he got enough. I'd really be surprised if he, you know, and they're usually right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, but then when, when the judges go the opposite way, I then force an analysis. I force myself to do the analysis to verify or, you know, deny. And uh, in this case, I think the judges totally got it wrong. Now in tandem with this, another crime that I see happening is crime. This this is a crime. Is this a misdemeanor or a felony? It's a misdemeanor or actually it's felony against Felipe to be perfectly honest. Uh, Felipe constantly gets underscored and it's, it's the thing we've seen this dynamic playing out in the past as well, which is we know how great he is and we expect greatness from him. And so, you know, him doing a full rotation air, he'll get a seven for it. Whereas if we saw Connor O'Leary do the exact same air, it's a nine five because we don't expect it of Connor O'Leary. And so I'm worried about Felipe. Felipe is my pick for El Salvador. If we were still in the survival league, he would be my pick. I cannot imagine anybody better suited for that wave, except his biggest foe in El Salvador are the judges. Yeah, you you make a great point. And as I was going back and thinking about that final, especially the last wave of Jacks, I felt like those turns were those were turns that anybody on tour could have done. I mean, I know, you know, like Toby Martin could have done those 15 years ago and you'd be like, Oh, wow. Yeah. I know. Deep, deep pull. That was a deep pull right there. But, but Felipe's you're like only Felipe can surf with that sort of like spark. You know, he's just got a spark and a speed that we're so used to. We're just like, no, that's just Felipe. You know, it looks like a six when it should have been an eight or what, you know, like you said, he, he gets underscored. He really does. And Jack Robinson, we, uh, it's almost like he's surfing. I I love Jack Robinson. Everybody who's listened to this show for years has heard me hype him for years. So I actually want him to win, but I can't ignore the fact that he's doing very, very mediocre surfing to get some of these wins. And I think obviously if the WSL ran in good waves, he would be the top of the crop. Like he actually his performance, he can surf way better than what we saw at G land. Uh, the waves didn't require it of him. And it's almost like the judges are doing the opposite with him where they know he's great. And they're just like, all you got to do is ride the wave, Jack, we're going to give you the score. Just don't fall, you know, because we know how great you are kind of a thing. Whereas Felipe, there's the opposite thing where it's like, you have to exceed our expectations for you in order to get the score that you actually deserve. And, and I, I sensed that that last wave of Jack's was like, he only needed maybe one more turn, but 
two turns. At Mediocre turns too. Well, the first one was pretty, I mean, they were good turns. They, they weren't, that's what they were. They were good turns. They weren't like over the top. Oh my God. Crazy fins out the back. Yeah, the first turn was very good. And then the second turn was like, right. You know, whatever finishing turn. But anyway, I, I just well, feel like it, it wasn't that it just wasn't a very long wave. Like it wasn't a very long, like it was kind of hard right. to get a seven on a, such a short wave at G land where guys are doing 17 turns. Totally. Completely. Um, so Kelly Slater and Jordy Smith, I'm only bringing up Jordy because you posed the question at the very beginning of the season to me. And yeah. I said, look, this is the ninth year in a row. I've addressed this question. I'm yeah. not going to do it on a 10th year. We need to have the Jordy discussion. Uh, he made the mid-year cut, but Jordy's hopes of winning a world title at this point, I think are done and dusted. He has not risen to the occasion when he needs to. Yeah, I totally agree. He's long in tooth and, and I think he sees, I mean, you know, he sees these guys in front of him. He sees Ethan Ewing. He sees Felipe. He sees Gabe. He sees Elo. Frankly, he sees Kelly. Yeah. I mean, there's guys that are in front of him that just Kanoa, maybe. Anyway, you get the point, Jack, of course. It's just, yeah. It, I wouldn't be surprised if he retires. Yeah. And if you're not going to be winning a world title, then what are you doing? You know? Well, I mean, you can hang on, you know, you can hang on for a couple of years. Plenty of guys have done that. And I wouldn't uh, besmirch him if he did that. That's fine. Well, you know? well, people do that. I think when they don't have any other career paths as a professional surfer, they do that because of the money and whatever comes with it. Um, I don't think Jordy needs that. And I certainly don't think Kelly Slater needs it. And so he's my other talking point is if the waves aren't pumping, what is Kelly doing? And so to see him go out in last place at G-Land, where, which is a wave that going into the event, we're like, Kelly's kind of the guy at G-Land. Um, but to see him surf, the waves are just so uh, inconsequential exactly. that it's like, it's disappointing to watch him surf out there. Yeah, and it's disappointing to see him get last. I don't think we convict Kelly here. I think we convict the WSL. Well, we have plenty of times. Well, and, and, and this is a great example of why it needs conviction. I mean, we just talked about Jack. You know, why aren't these guys surfing throughout the event in epic conditions and epic waves when they're all around the world? Yeah. I mean, you just it's go a, on surf a, line, man. It's like pumping everywhere, you know? And it's well, not it, that hard to put great surfers in great waves for an event. You just gotta you just gotta be focused. And well, you have to have that as your goal. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. And so, you know, I think that. You know, it, it could be argued the reason Jordy doesn't have a win, a world title, is because the waves have been shitty. And frankly, he's 6'3, 210 pounds or whatever. He's probably a buck 95 because he's in shape. And he's a big old bloke and he needs a big old yeah. wave. And back in the day, guys like that used to win. I mean, Simon and, well, let's see, who's the biggest, the largest human to win a world title? physically sunny garcia maybe yeah probably sunny he's not even maybe. that tall yeah he's he's five nine i better five ten yeah i don't know um the other conversation that we need to follow up on is 
we were talking about Gabriel returning to competition. Will he execute? He made it all the way to the semifinals. And again, he lost at the final, literally the dying two seconds. He went on the first wave. Jack happened to be on the second wave to get the score. Otherwise, Gabriel was in the lead position in that heat. So he would have made the finals. So I think Gabriel actually did pretty much execute all but won the event. And then Idolo is the other conversation. And Idolo did not rise to the occasion. And so he's still a question mark uh, about where his focus is. And this leaves an opening for Felipe Toledo. So Felipe, who's had a great first half of the season, Gabriel was not even a contender. Gabriel's still kind of the, the title is still out or even the top five is out of Gabriel's range at this point. He really needed to win this event to be a part of that conversation. So Gabriel's almost pushed aside. Idolo has pushed himself aside. Felipe has a direct shot at a title this year in a way that he's never had in the past. Yeah, this could be Felipe's year. I mean, things are lining up, you know, totally. And, and you're right. Idolo's is a little bit disappointing. And I, I, and I don't know why I'm trying to put my finger on why it is. Um, his free surfs are incredible. Stuff he's too much muscle. Hmm, maybe. Too I much, don't know. Too much focus on working out and posting it on Instagram. And that muscle doesn't translate to nimble surfing, you know? Um, I don't know, dude. His free surfs, he's doing some insane stuff. Yeah. He doesn't have the I mean, focus, though, when it comes it's pretty to... Ni- it's pretty nimble. Well, he needs to focus all of that into winning events, winning heats throughout the entire season, really. Um, and then El Salvador, a couple of notes on El Salvador. Carlos Munoz is back in the draw coming off of that injury. Um, he's drawn Jack Robinson and Kelly Slater in the first round. Uh Kanoa, I would think, should do really good in this event, and he kind of needs to needs to to shore up his position in the top five. What are your thoughts going into El Sal? My thoughts going into El Salvador are this isn't a good contest wave. <laughs> Not excited? No. I, I've surfed. It's at La Libertad, right? I think so. It's at Punta Roca. Super great wave. I would go there anytime to surf on vacation. It's an insane wave. Super fun. But it's it's borderline a CT wave, is what I would yeah. say to you. Now yeah. it, it could get it could be if it's six to eight feet and offshore. And low tide, there's going to be moments when it's insane. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and, and it being insane is kind of like, it's kind of like lowers. It's like really good lowers. With a barrel section. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like a thin top tube barrel section. Um, not, not like a, kind of like a J-Bade barrel, you know, like you kind of ride out of it through the top of the wave. Well, um Stat Don't get magazine. Me wrong, it's a great wave, but I just, I think, and I hope I'm wrong, but I think we're going to be a little disappointed in the quality of waves that these guys are going to be competing well, in, especially relative to, you know, us harping on, they need to be in better waves. So I think that that is the conversation here is um, there's more 
going into these decisions than putting the best oh, surfers yeah. in the best waves. And Stab oh, yeah. Magazine did write a piece. I did not read it. I just saw the headline that was um, uh, El Salvador is heavily investing into surfing. And so it's not a coincidence that there's a WSL event there. Mm-hmm. So I think the article was about, yeah, them building out this infrastructure at that location, probably paying to have the event there. But interestingly, there's a ton of civil unrest in the country as well, um, which makes it questionable for the WSL to be drawing attention and spending money there for a surf event. 38,000 people have been arrested. There's been a new regime in charge, I think the last two years. And the whole goal with the regime or the stated effort, the way that they got voted into office was they were going to clean up all of the violent gangs in the country. Um, El Salvador has constantly been on the list of the most violent places in the world. And um, so that's been a huge problem for them and their tourism. And the, but the problem is that this war on gangs has also um, become corrupt. A lot of people are being arrested who actually have nothing to do with criminal activity and now news stories are coming out that these people are being mysteriously, they're ending up dead in prison. Um, so somebody actually had just sent me an article to a piece on the guardian that kind of details some of this stuff, but 62 people were murdered, murdered in a single day in one prison. And a lot of them under mysterious circumstance, like I said, 38,000 people had been arrested uh, and imprisoned since the offensive began in late March. So lots of questions about not only the gang activity stuff, but now the poli- the politics, the um, new regime in charge and their way of handling it. Yeah, I just pulled up an article and I'll give the listeners a little bit of um, insight here. And I'm quoting this article from... Uh, insightcrime.org which i'm not sure what website that is but it says here a killing spree unlike anything seen since el salvador's civil war has delivered a macabre message for the country's street gangs which have learned that spikes in homicide speak to the government the country's main gangs ms-13 and barrio 18 appeared to indiscriminately kill people, including vendors, bus passengers, and market goers during three days of bloodshed that began with killings, 14 killings on March 25th. They've tallied 62 total, marking the deadliest day on record. That was the next following day, 62 dead. 11 more people on March 27th for a total of 87 homicides in 72 hours. And um, yeah, I'll just leave it there. It's like you said, pretty bad. And oh, by the way, if you've never been to El Salvador, you fly into the capital, which I believe is San Salvador, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. And La Libertad, Punta Roca is like 15 minutes away. Like, it's pretty damn close. Like, people from the city go to the beach there all the time. Like, it's, it's not far removed. I mean, you could argue that Punta Roca is just the beach suburb of San Salvador. Yeah. Well, um, lots, I mean, lots to, uh, be concerned about with El Salvador. 
the and we'll see what happens with this event there. I mean, I'm sure that they'll have security in place and all that sort of stuff for the competitors. Um, the other big story here with the WSL is that John John Florence has sustained an MCL, another MCL injury at GLAN, and he has withdrawn from the El Salvador event and very likely from the Rio event as well. This is uh, the fourth knee injury in the last couple of years that John has sustained. This is not a re-injury. This is a new injury. And the problem for John John is he was sitting third in the rankings. He has won Brazil in the past. He has finaled at J-Bay. He has finaled at Chopu. So sitting third currently and with the back half of the season, the way that it is, he really had a great shot at that top five and a potential third world title. So it's super unfortunate to have John pulling out. Yeah, John's career is starting to get to a place where, um, you know, it's obviously just been marred by injury, which is, you know, what does he have, three or two world titles? Two. He's got two. Everyone feels like he should have five. Yeah. Um, and it's just unfortunate. You know, it's just – It really what, is. What, what can you do? You know, it's not like he's not trying. And, um, and I think, you know, there's certain athletes throughout history that you just go, gosh, if it wasn't for injury, this guy would have been the greatest ever. Or, you know, in many ways, he's kind of like Bo Jackson. You know, it's like yeah. Bo Jackson was just this incredible athlete who had this freaky injury and um, it, it ended everything abruptly. And I just sense that that's the way that we're going with John, John, that I wouldn't be surprised if he just goes, you know what, I'm going to, I'm just going to free surf for a little while, yeah. you know, and just not do it. Maybe I'll surf pipe. He probably will. He'll surf pipe, but you know, going through the slog of a world tour to try to win a title and to just keep getting denied by injury, it, it drags you down at some point. Yeah. And look, he has plenty of career options other than the WSL. And so I wouldn't be surprised if he took that path as well. Um, but I would like to see him fulfill his world title potential as well. So it is a shame. If anybody knows the road to recovery, it is John John. And so, um, Interestingly, his brother, Nathan Florence, has really invested heavily in cross-training and weightlifting and all these things. And when I heard him or saw him interviewed about that, he was saying the weight training isn't to bulk out or to add muscle. It is to prevent injury, actually. And so it'd be interesting to hear John John. I mean, I don't see that John John has taken on those same regimes that uh, Nathan has. Well, I'm sure that John has something going on as far as, you know, a, a plan for his body, but, uh, and I don't know what that is, but, you know, he's, he's had these knee injuries before. So it's kind of like this nagging thing, you know? Yeah. Um, that at some point you can't, I mean, yeah, you can strengthen muscles around the tendons and the ligaments, but at some point, you know, they give out. Yeah. The other story is Caroline Marks uh, is returning at El Salvador. And interestingly, she was ready to return. She had taken off the first part of the year due to medical uh, reasons, unstated medical reasons. And she was set to come back for G-Land and then pulled the plug because she ended up going on a Red Bull boat trip in Indonesia instead. <laughs> and so... So this calls into question the WSL's policy for these sort totally. of things, because 
we talked about Gabriel Medina can just take off as much time as he wants and then yeah. just show up when he wants. All these other surfers got cut. Well, half the women's tour also got cut. And then Caroline goes, nah, you know what? I'm going to sit this one out, go on a boat trip. I'll catch up with you guys in El Salvador. And they're just like, WSL's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> Whenever you come back is fine. Go ahead, take as much time as you need, even if it's not for a medical reason. So we need to know what that policy is for the WSL. Well, look, the bottom line is, is that in some ways I feel sorry for the WSL. And I'll tell you why. It's because they don't have much leverage. Like they're, they're, it seems like they're on a little bit of, of thin ice with the athletes. Yeah. Otherwise, they'd be like, hell no. Don't you know you're a member of this league and these are the policies that, that have to be implemented and are implemented and these are, you have to follow these things and these rules and this is the way, we, and this is for the integrity of the league. You can't just like willy-nilly decide to go on a surf boat trip and because you're not obeying, you're out. You're out yeah. for the rest of the year. And yeah. they don't have the ability to do that at sea, apparently, because either they figure, oh, you know what? She's good for the tour. Just let her have her moment and we'll call it part of her. You know, I don't know. Like, you know, obviously the silence is deafening over there. But I sense that they don't have a bunch of leverage and I, and I wish they had more so that. I sense they don't have a policy. I think they do have a policy. I just don't think they have somebody implementing it or following it or calling surfers on it. You know, like you can't just, <laughs> you can't just take an extra vacation. Uh, I well, don't know. Again, it undermines the entire company. Like when we see these decisions, when we see the lack of interest in putting the best surfers in the world in the best waves, that undermines the entire thing. Then when you see them bending rules to accommodate their own interests repeatedly, that calls into question the whole thing. And so if we, the core fans, are identifying this and losing, they're losing credibility with us, the surfers themselves have called into question a lot of these things along the way, even signed to put together a petition, all this kind of stuff. You know, then it, I think it becomes an easier question or an easier decision for John John when he is forced with some of this stuff or an easier decision for Kelly, who's like, man, if you guys just ran in good waves, I would never retire. But if you're going to make me run in knee high surf, or at El Salvador, even if El Salvador is good, Kelly doesn't want to be in El Salvador. You know, he doesn't want to go. He constantly doesn't go to Brazil for the events, just takes that as one of his throwaway events. Kelly is going to start looking at retirement a lot more seriously based on the WSL undermining its own interests. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, um, I just sense that they're understaffed is the vibe I've, I sense. And maybe I'm wrong. I have no idea, by the way. I have no idea. But it seemed like it would be in the best interest of the league to implement and enforce its policies. And I'm yep. not saying that they are not, because I kind of don't know what their policy is regarding Carolyn Marks. Maybe they're like, hey, she's still injured. But then why is she on a boat trip in Indo with Red Bull? And it's exactly because Red Bull has more leverage than... And they love red. They need Red Bull as part of their team. And they maybe they've got some like WSL production studios thing with Red Bull that's happening. And so they need to appease, you know, like who knows why, but 
We look, certainly don't. I think, and, and I think for Caroline, she's like, look at the forecast for G-Land. Do I want to go sit in the jungle and surf, you know, minimally throughout the course of the next two weeks? Or do I want to go get shacked and surf eight hours a day on a boat trip? Like that could be as simple as the decision is for her. Yeah, it's, it's weird. It's kind of like minor league baseball player or like baseball players that get injured and they go on the disabled list. And they always have a rehab stint in like triple A AAA or double A minor league baseball. And in many ways, this is like Caroline's rehab stint. She's like, look, I'm healthy again. I'm fit. I'm going to go do a rehab stint in minor league, you know, out in the mental wise on a boat to make sure that I'm really ready. And I could see the WSL going, okay, I get that. This is the last piece of the puzzle for her physical rehabilitation is to see if her body can withstand, you know, the torment of, a, of the world tour. She's going to go yeah. do her rehab stint. That, yeah. could be, that could be a rationalization. I can see that. Well, um, we've got to, I've got to get going here. We're running a little bit late. I do want to say though, that we did not acknowledge the passing of Dick Brewer last week. And, um, in the last couple of weeks, a number of iconic former professional surfer shapers, surf luminaries have passed away. Not only Dick Brewer, but Joey Hamasaki and Walt Phillips and Matt Warshaw sent out a newsletter, I think, uh, last Sunday, kind of acknowledging and giving a rundown of each of these people's contributions. Uh, Joey Hamasaki, I'd never even heard of until last year when I, I think Matt might have brought it, brought her to my attention. He brought her up for some reason. And um, it was kind of a really interesting story. So I'm just going to read that portion of his newsletter real quick to shine a light on Joey. Um, but she passed away last week of cancer at 75 and she was overlooked. Uh, to the very end is what Matt Warshaw said. World title runner up in 1966 and among the most graceful surfers of her or any other generation. And unless I miss something, her passing was noted on Facebook and a few Instagram posts, but that was it. She deserved so much better. I am grateful to the Surfers Journal for last year's 11th hour Joey Hamasaki profile, which she saw before going to in to the hospital. So she did get to see that profile before she went into the hospital. And Matt said, I'm also grateful that Joey herself didn't seem too bitter about how the surf media ignored her. She hadn't surfed for decades, but she had a bottomless trove of good memories about her Waikiki childhood and the decade that she spent in Southern California from 1963 to 1973, where she did some of her casual gender barrier breaking as a glosser for Hobie and Weber. So she was glossing surfboards back then. Uh, the past, in a very real sense, was all that Joey had. She was introverted to a fault and barely engaged with the outside world. She had no computer, no internet, no cell phone. She had a driver's license, but wasn't very mobile herself. Her hips went bad in the 80s, so I don't think that she ever had them fixed. That's why she hadn't been surfing. And if she dwelled in the past, she didn't seem to fully understand her place in surf history and just how high a standard she set with her own performances. And when I told Joey that people remember her being as smooth on a wave as David Nueva, she literally gasped. It was inconceivable to her, but entirely true. So that's a little bit about Joey Hamasaki. 
Well, you know, I got uh, this week, I was sent my Surfing Walk of Fame 2022 ballot. And for the woman of the year, I voted for Joey Hamasaki. And she, uh, I knew, I, I, I'd known of Joey for a while just because of my involvement in the surf media. Um, so I'm glad that Matt brought her to light a little bit. Um, just so you know, I also voted, there's five categories, woman of the year, Joey Hamasaki. Local hero, I voted for Mike Minchington. For yeah. surfing culture, I voted for actor Gregory Harrison. For surfing pioneer, I voted for Mike Diffenderfer. And for surfing champions, I voted for Shane Beshin. Now, Epic. in regards to Brewer, um, Mark Richards was mentored by Dick Brewer. And Dick Brewer mentored a long list of icons of foam, including... Reno Avalara, Jerry Lopez, Al Chapman, Sam Hawk, Gary Linden, Pat Ross, and frankly, too many to mention, but eventually his mentorship lineage includes contemporary shapers in Europe and Japan and with North Americans such as Lyle Carlson and Chris Christensen. Of course, Christensen made the winning boards for Eddie Icow champion Greg Long and Jaws champion Ian Walsh. Dick Brewer was mentored by the Michelangelo of shaping Mike Diffenderfer, who I just mentioned. Um, Diffenderfer was mentored by Pat Curran. Pat Curran was influenced by Hobie Alter and mentored by Walter Hoffman. Now, pedigree and the actual influence of pedigree is highly subjective. Secretariat, the horse sired some duds, and occasionally horses without any great bloodlines rise to the top. And of course, a passing suggestion from a shaper about the effect of role and or V from somebody like Brewer can change a young shaper's outlook in a tremendous way, but doesn't necessarily mean that that shaper mentored that shaper, but it's undoubted, undoubted, undoubted that uh, Dick Brewer influenced many, perhaps influenced more than any other shaper. Yeah, the argument could be made. So well, rest, rest in power. Dick Brewer. Rip in peace. Um, right. Excellent. Right. Well, well, Scott, it's been a great show. Yeah. It's been a great show, David. It's time for you to leave us. <laughs> hey, look, send us an email. It's uh, hello at surfsplendorpodcast.com or scott at surfboardshow.com sure there's some commentary we've said some stuff today that probably might have ruffled some feathers we don't know but david until next time adios and aloha